famous English writer, philosopher, and theologian of the early 20th century, G.K. Chesterton, said this. He said, when belief in God becomes difficult, the tendency is to turn away from him. But in heaven's name, to what? To what? I think that's a great statement. In our prayer service last Sunday night, one of the our associate board members, Drew Edwards, led us in the reading of that most treasured passage from Isaiah 40. I'm going to ask you to turn there with me for just a few minutes this morning, Isaiah chapter 40, and I'm going to work my way through uh, the first half and then the, the last part of the chapter. And I really want to give a word of encouragement this morning to those of you who have ever questioned your faith. I've even had conversations uh, this morning with some folks who just said, you know, I, I've, I know what it is to have a season of doubt, a time of doubt, um, and uh, I, I just, I wonder, I, I, and I, I've even heard uh, recently, Pastor, I just, I just hope I'm saved. I just really want to, well, I want to tell you this, if you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you have confessed him, confess with your heart, Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You are saved today by the blood of the Lamb of the Lord Jesus. But I know that doubts come uh, because I hear them from you. I know that they come. And so I want to give a word of encouragement from this uh, prophetic voice of Isaiah. And it's always um, multifaceted the way that we look at a prophetic passage of Scripture it's what was being forecast from the Old Testament into the New Testament, but there's also an angle from it for us. I remember so often my, uh, my pastor Des would say, reading the Word is like holding up a diamond. You look at it from any, all these different angles, and whatever angle you look at it from, it's absolutely magnificent, and that's the truth of the Word of the Lord. You can look at it from many different angles, but I hope that we walk away encouraged today. We know the children of Israel, the people of God, had a problem with repeatedly turning away from God and to the worship of other gods and idols. We read that. We've been reading that. God would then uh, judge them. Then repentance would come. And this took place over and over and over and over again until finally God allowed them to be captivated and, and taken off into exile to Babylon for 70 years. But thanks be to God, judgment was not God's last word for his people. How many of you are thankful today that judgment is not the last word for you? Having laid out the reason for judgment and the exile, then God comes to them with this word of comfort, calling them to prepare to now leave exile in Babylon and march with him on a highway through the wilderness back to their homeland of Jerusalem. So in Isaiah 40, if you want to turn there in your Bible, your device, we see that God is speaking through his prophet Isaiah, and he's speaking to this nation who is once again going through distress, which again has been the history of Israel in large measure. There can certainly come times, not only to us personally, but in our society, in our own history, where we are threatened to be overwhelmed by what is all around us. And it is also true that the things that we are experiencing today, others have experienced before us. The mechanics might be slightly different, the details would be, would be unique to that day and time, but the challenge to the human race is not new. In one way or another, they had to go through the same valleys, the same trials, 
the same difficulties as have we, but God has always been there for his people. Is there a hallelujah in the room? And in the midst of a particular period of struggle in the nation of Israel, this word comes, this wonderful word of comfort. Beginning in verse 1, God says to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Now let me pause here to say, I've heard this preached both ways. And uh, I'll tell you my own personal uh, study, and I've taken it as deep as I can, this understanding received double. I know many people say, oh, she's received double blessing for all. No, God doesn't give you blessing for your sins. What the truth is, when you dig deep into this, that she literally, as a nation, has received double punishment. She received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. I challenge you to look it up for yourself. This would have been such a powerful word of comfort to the people of God at that time. Because they were always struggling, they were always fighting, always trying to be godly, they were always trying to obey all the 600 plus laws that they had to obey to have a right relationship with God. And there was not only warfare outside of them encroaching on what they were called to be in the earth, but there was the interior war as well going on at the same time. We would say it this way, struggles without and struggles within. Pressures without, pressures within. Does anybody in the room know what I'm talking about? Suddenly, the voice of God comes right in the midst of them, facing such overwhelming struggles, and, and in the midst of them feeling their failure, that they can't reconnect to God the way that they feel that they should. They're falling short in great measure of what they feel that God has called them to be in the earth. And I, I'm quite sure that there is almost all of us in the room would feel that same way, that, that, that we have fallen short as a believer, what God has called us to be. I know many of you even question, what is my calling? What is God's purpose for me in the earth, and, and why am I even here? Well, that's what the nation of Israel was feeling. God, I, I feel like I'm called to be so much more than what I am right now or what's being manifested in, in and through my life. And I'm constantly fighting and striving and struggling to find that place which the Bible refers to as the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And suddenly the word comes that their warfare is ended. Their iniquity is pardoned. Can you imagine what a phenomenal moment that was at that time? Because sin at that time was imputed. In other words, if you went uh, if you went into the temple, you offered a sacrifice of a lamb or a dove or a goat, and you felt clean. God had accepted you. You were forgiven. But the issue was you left the temple, and somebody ran over your toes with their cart, and you said a word you shouldn't say. So now you've got to go back and get another lamb or another dove or another goat and go back into the temple and get forgiven all over again. But the thought which was being conveyed through the prophet Isaiah is that there's coming a time when sin would be forgiven. It would just be forgiven. Just forgiven. Carte blanche. Forgiven. And when the people heard these words from Isaiah, 
and must have wondered, how on earth is this going to happen? How is God going to do this? So Isaiah carries on in verse 3 of chapter 40, and he says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, you and I know that Scripture declares in the New Testament that this this passage of verses 3 through 5 was fulfilled through John the Baptist. He was the voice raised up in the wilderness to make the declaration that God has come, that God is going to remove your sin, that God is going to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. God himself is going to restore everything that sin and hell and the devil has brought into the human race. He's going to destroy its power. He's going to take away its penalty. He's going to demolish its curse and that, that has touched the earth. He's going to raise up a people unto himself, a people who are so blessed that they are going to become a blessing from God in the earth. Isaiah again, verse 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway. Say that word. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now let's talk about this highway. God says, I want it to be a straight highway. And here's why. Because you couldn't make your way to him. He's going to make his way to you. He wants to have a path from him to you, and we're going to call it today a path of success. And I, the Lord, am the one who will make it possible, he says. My way will not be a crooked way. You won't have to try to figure it out, and you're going to see me face to face because I'm coming to get you. There's a highway that's being formed. Verse 4, every valley shall be exalted. In other words, every low place, hello, good morning, every low place that the devil has dug for you and tries to convince you that you will never, ever get out of the valley of the shadow of despair, you will never escape the thoughts of discouragement, every valley he says it's going to be exalted, that every time you think, I will never get out of this place of wanting to end my life and to commit suicide, every valley is going to be, that's not going to be there. Every valley of my pathway will be lifted up on this highway to God. And everyone will have access to God. There will not be strong people or weak people, big people, little people, all flesh, Blessed be the name of God. All flesh shall see the glory of the Lord. Everyone will have the opportunity to come through to this incredible mercy that God is about to reveal through his Son. And every mountain and hill will be brought low. Not only will the valleys be lifted up, but every obstacle that the enemy has put in front of you Every mountain, every hill, everything that posed threat to stop you on your way and on your journey, it is going to be brought low. God says, I'm going to bring it down. I'm going to make a plain, level, straight highway for you to get to me. Verse 4 also, the crooked places shall be made straight. All those things that are stuck in your path to try to convince you 
that it's very difficult to find a living relationship with God. God says himself through the prophet, no, I'm going to make a straight pathway, a straight pathway. And to everyone here this morning who feels like you struggle to get to God, you are going to hear that voice of the Son of God crying out, come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Why? Because God says, make straight a highway. Let the valleys be exalted. Let the hills be brought low. And he also says, and the rough places made smooth. Rough places. Anybody ever hit a rough patch in life? It's those things that the enemy has put in front of you. Maybe things that... uh, that your own heart embraced somehow in your journey of life, the stuff you sort of picked up and the baggage along the way that created a rough spot for you to try to convince you that it's simply too hard to get to God. It's the person who says, well, I tried God, but that didn't work. Tried to be holy, but I can't. And the Lord says to the prophet, the rough places shall be made smooth. Blessed be the Lord. Are you hearing me this morning? Verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Remember, it was John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, because his glory is being revealed. And John the beloved disciple said, We saw him, beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So there was the fulfillment in the New Testament of that prophecy of Isaiah. Now I'm going to ask you to shift gears with me, please. Jump with me all the way to verse 26. We're still in chapter 40 of Isaiah. Jump with me to verse 26. Because this is now going to be the challenge to you and to me today. Isaiah 40, 26. Lift up your eyes on high. Say that with me. No, you got to go put a little lift on lift. Lift up your eyes on high. Come on, do it. Thank you. In other words, lift your gaze above your circumstances. Not a person in this room who did not walk in here today with circumstances, stuff going on in your life that you sure wish wasn't there. Is that true of anybody? But Isaiah is saying to us, lift up your eyes on high above your circumstances and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. So, what things? What happens when you lift up your eyes on high? You don't see the things of earth. You see the things of heaven. And see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Not one is missing. I think that's a pretty great God. How about you? 
He's saying, lift up your eyes on high and just consider, just think about the power of the one who makes you the promise that he is creating a smooth, straight, level highway to get to you. Consider the fact that he calls galaxies into place by the word of his mouth. He calls by name all of the stars which are too innumerable to even be counted. He puts the planets into orbit. He's the one who commanded life to exist on planet Earth. We're talking about the holy sovereign God here. He holds everything in his hand by the word of his power. Consider how great is the power of the one who has made his promise to you that he's making a highway to get to you. Oh, come on, put your hands together and bless them. So why? Why lift your head? Well, if you consider your own strength, guess what? You will falter and fail. He is the one who made the highway. He is the one who made the way into your heart. He is the one who made a way to take you by the hand and take you to a, into a future that only God could give you, not only for time, but for all eternity. He did that. So lift up your eyes and see who has created these things. And Isaiah says, when you do consider the stars, just remember, just remember, not one of them is missing. Not one. Now let's take the prophetic words of Isaiah and apply them to us this morning. Remember it was the Lord Jesus who said, Father, John chapter 17, Father, I've not lost any that you have given to me. That sounds to me like not one is missing. Father, I've not lost any that you have given to me. Those who come to me, I will in no way cast you out. In another place, Jesus says, and I give them eternal life, John 10, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone ever Snatch them out of my hand. No, not one. You who have a sincere heart for God, you who want to live for God, yes, we struggle. Yes, we falter. Yes, we fail. But I'm here this morning to simply remind you and hopefully give you this word of encouragement. He has made a way to us to forgive our sins. And he says, if you have trusted in me, then no longer will sin be imputed to you. Yes, we will have to ongoingly confess our sin, but not one of you will be missing that day when we stand around the throne of God. Hallelujah! Forty twenty-seven. Hallelujah indeed. So why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? Jacob and Israel are synonyms for all twelve tribes. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. In other words, why do you listen to the voices which say, this promise is it's not for me? I called, 
no one answered. Somehow eternal and abundant life has passed, passed me by. Well, why do you listen to the voices which say your situation is beyond the power of God? You're, you're special. Your situation is beyond what God can do anything with. Why do you say that? Why? Why do you say that, says the Lord? prophet was addressing the people of God with a series of questions that showed them the weakness of their faith and the ridiculous nature of their complaints. Why do you say that? When you consider who I am, when you consider I've come to get you, when you consider the Son of God went to a cross, endured the scorn, the whipping, the beating, the death which we all deserved, for the sin that we had committed, when we consider that on the third day God raised him again from the dead and gave us the simple promise that whoever would believe that he took our place and we would receive him into our heart as Lord and Savior, we would be saved forever. When the word of God tells us that when anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old things in his or her life have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Why then do you say... And where do you get this argument against God which says, this isn't for me? Who told you that? If God didn't tell you that, where did you get that thought from? Where did you get the idea that nobody answered when you called? Now, I understand we live in a microwave world where we expect an immediate answer, don't we? We kind of like it when the moment the prayer leaves our lips, that somehow the answer is going to go poof and be right in front of it. Am I telling the truth? We like that. And when it doesn't come in our timing, we simply get up and walk away and we say, I tried that. I tried praying. It didn't work. It didn't work for me. And sometimes we get it in our thinking that somehow God just passes us by. I called and no one answered. Eternal and abundant life is for others, not for me. My situation is beyond the control of God. Verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. Any weak in the room today? And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Who needs more strength today? Even the youths shall faint faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. What this is telling us is this. Times in this world can get so hard that even the strength of youth cannot carry you through. Of course, that's long since left me. But the zeal of young men is going to fail. It can simply get so hard and so dark, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are times that come into every life where we simply can't get free. We can't go forward with any amount of our own natural strength or ability, no matter how hard we try. But I am so happy to be here today to simply remind you of this. 
but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who place their hope in the Lord find new strength they didn't even know they had. They will be able to soar like eagles to new heights of achievement. They will be able to run the race and have energy left over to run again. They can walk through the toughest situations without giving up or fainting. This was the comfort the Creator conceived for His confused and concerned creatures. And the way... (laughs) was opening for Israel to run home on this highway to her fatherland and to her father. God would build the highway. God would lead the way. And God would be the one to give strength to endure on the way. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. The word wait in the original text means intertwined with the promise or the character of God. What does that mean, wait? It means to be intertwined with the promise and the character of God. The way it is explained in Romans chapter 8, verse 11 is this, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. How many are thankful for the indwelling Holy Spirit? Those who let God be God in their life, those who meet him face to face and say, Lord, thank you for coming to get me. I open my heart to you. I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord, my God, my Savior. You promised me the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit. It would would live within this heart, live within this earthen vessel. You said I would have a new, a full, an abundant, and an eternal life. Lord, thank you for coming into my life. I give myself to you. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. If you've lost your strength, then you've come to a good place this morning. He not only can save you, he can strengthen you. And when he does, he's going to give you a new path. He's going to give you a new life, a new heart, a new mind. Verse 31, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What a great promise this is to us this morning, Bethesda. Great promise. Now, while that takes me through a part of chapter 40 I wanted to cover this morning, I'm going to just take a second to look into chapter 41. And as I do, I want to remind you, that the division of chapters and verses came long after the scripture was written. In the original version, there are no chapters and verses. It's just, it's just all one. So sometimes it's okay to question, okay, is, should, that, should the verse started here, here, the chapter here and there? I'm going to tiptoe into what we call chapter 41. It's the first part of 41. Actually, it brings chapter 40 to conclusion where the Lord says again, through the prophet Isaiah, he says this, Isaiah 41.1, keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. 
Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let me tell you how I read that this morning. Keep silent, every devil of hell. Keep silent every contrary argument that runs through my mind. Keep silent every frailty of the human heart. God says, keep silent before me and let the people come to me and their strength be renewed. So I speak this morning with a tone of prophetic edge when I say, in the name of Jesus, I command every contrary thought to Christ to be silent. Every thought which says this is not for me is for somebody else. Every one of you who've doubted your faith, doubted your salvation, I would say to those voices, keep silent. Every thought which says I can't get to God, I don't know how. That highway that he made is not for me. I don't care what he did to it, it's not for me. Keep those voices silent. Every thought which runs through your mind that says life is not worth living. Every thought which says, I'm so discouraged I can't make it. I'm depressed. I'm addicted. I will always be down. I will always be hurt. I will always be wounded. I will always be blind. I will always be in a prison of some kind. To you, I say in Jesus' mighty name, keep silent and let the people renew their strength. Let the church be renewed in our generation. Let the lost start to sing the praises of God. Let a multitude of people come out of darkness and come out of death and start to walk in resurrection life with Christ Jesus. And anything that stands in the way, I say to that voice, keep silent in Jesus' name. Keep silent every voice of hell that says the church will not rise again or that your church is doomed. Everyone who says that our college students are fools if they believe in God, keep silent. Keep silent every voice against God, the one who created the stars and the universe by the word of his mouth, the one who has all power in his hand. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. The one who came to the earth as a man, the one who was called the Lamb of God, the one who went to the cross, went into the grave, could not be held down by death, says to this generation, keep silent. God says, I will have a church. I will have a people. I will be glorified in the earth. I will give power and might to those who are faint and weary and weak. I will send my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your maidens and your handmaidens will be filled with the Spirit of God. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Keep silent, O earth, and let the will and purpose of God be established in this generation. Let the church say, Amen! We serve a mighty God, church. God's voice is so powerful that the day is coming soon and very soon. He is going to call with a shout, a shout the likes of which we've never heard before. And everyone who has ever died trusting him is going to be raised up out of the grave. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so for those who mock that, 
for those who are cynical against that, for those who tell us there is no God, for those who try to tell the church there is no future for the church, to those who believe their evil agenda can infect our society and destroy it, I have two words. Keep silent! So now you have a choice. Everyone here, everyone listening online. You can continue to believe the voices which keep you away from the fullness that God has for you through Jesus. Or you can believe the fact that he was raised from the dead and God's promise to you, to you is that in trusting him you will have eternal life and you will have a reason to live, live in abundance and fullness on this earth. And you will be supernaturally empowered. Oh, I speak to someone today by the word of the Lord. You will be supernaturally empowered to fulfill the will of God for your life. The will of God for your life. The will of God for your life. It's not about you, it's about him fulfilling the will of God for your life. And God will do it through you if you will trust him and believe. And watch what God will do. But at some point in your life, you have to speak to these voices, whether it's a demonic voice, whether it has been learned, passed down to you, whether it was generated in your own heart, you have to be the one to say in your life and in your heart for you, enough. Enough. Keep silent. Bethesda, I speak to you from the word of the Lord today. You don't have the last word in my life, you foul, evil thought. You don't control my future. You are not the one who has the final say on what happens to me. For I'm his to command where he leads me. I belong to Jesus forever. It's not you who determines my future. It is God and God alone who determines my future. And he's the one who has made a highway for me with no valley and no mountain and no rough place and no crooked place. Nothing to stop him from getting to me. Nothing, 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 nothing. Not angels, not principalities, not powers. Nothing can separate me from the love of God which is mine in Christ Jesus. So for the church of Jesus Christ, it's time for us to quit placating to the mully grubs. Woe is me. It's time to get on the highway. It's time to let him become our strength. Him to become our voice. He must become our freedom. He is our covering. He is our cleansing. He is our hope. He is our promise. He is everything to us. And you know what that takes sometimes? Listen to me. Listen to me. Sometimes you, gotta, you just got to get some gravel in your gut. Pardon me, ladies, if that word is offensive to you. Get some gravel in your gut to simply say to the devil, shut up. You don't have my marriage. You don't have my home. You don't have my family. You don't have my kids. 
you don't have my grandkids. Keep silent for the Lord has spoken. And when the devil tries to dictate your future, you look him square in the eye and say, listen, I got something to tell you. Your knee will bow. Your tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the only Lord unto the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. You have no right over my life. You have no voice about my future. You do not dictate my beginning or my end. I'm in the hands of an almighty God. So let every other voice be silent and let the voice of God be the only voice that I hear. Let the word of God be the only word that I follow. Keep silent. Keep silent.